Wait a minute, I hear something. What's going on? Welcome back to Dr. Movie, where we just keep on chugging along, driving down the road, to and fro, and talking about movies. And uh, finally got around to one that I've always liked. You know, I, I did a lot of, uh, what was the what was the movies before? The Smoky movies, right? And I did Eat My Dust, and all these kind of uh, New World Pictures, Roger Corman classics. And why I didn't do this one with the rest of them, I don't really know. I mean, it does set itself apart. It is different for sure. But when it comes to a road movie, I tell you, this one still holds up. Now, I know we've had remakes of it and a whole reimagining and stuff, which I might revisit again. I don't know. I, 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 it, it didn't just make me go, wow, I got to watch that again. But there's something about this one I keep going back to. And we are talking about Death Race 2000 from 1975. So yeah, Death Race was set in the year 2000, the distant year, 15 years later, 25 years later. I get my math right here in a minute. Uh, you know, 25 years in the future, and this is what things were going to look like. So uh, yeah, we kind of missed it because... I would much rather drive the cars that they had in this movie than, you know, even what we have today. But anywho, 1975 sci-fi action movie. Uh, you know, it's 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 from New World Pictures, Roger Corman producing, I'm sure. Uh, directed by Paul Bartel, uh, who I happen to be a fan of. You see him pop up in a lot of Corman stuff. So, uh... Yeah, the budget for $300,000, folks. Now, in 75, that's quite a bit of money, right? Uh, let's look. In the year 2000, America, America is a totalitarian, 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 totalitarian. There you go. Say that fast five times with spaghetti in your mouth. Uh, <laughs> totalitarian. Regime. <coughs> yeah. Nickel. Neptune. Nectar. It's definitely an N word. Uh, totalitarian regime on the brink of collapse. The most popular sport in this dystopia is the transcontinental road race, uh, where teams are uh, earn points <laughs> for logging in the fastest time and running over people, right? Uh, there's a, a lot more here to read, but I'm trying to drive at the same time. Don't recommend it. Uh, anyway, I mean, if you don't if you don't know this movie, there's a problem, right? If you clicked on, oh, Death Race 2000, that sounds interesting. Well, I, I hope you did. But if you're not familiar with this one, it's it's kind of a classic. So um, let's see. I see where to watch. Let's see if we've got a why to watch. Because that's kind of my favorite thing. Why to watch. Three words for you. Outlandish, campy, and brutal. Yeah. 
for sure. This is an awesome movie, a true Roger Morgan, uh, Roger Morgan, a true Roger Corman masterpiece, very watchable and well paced and edited. Yeah, show enough. Death Race 2000 is an edgy thriller that tackles some controversial issues, but the filmmaking style holds it back. I, I don't know. Uh, I think it works for where it came from. I think the point is still made. Uh, it's just not heavy-handed. We, we kind of heavy-hand this stuff now. And I'm glad that we can go back and watch a movie like this that still has a little something in there, but it's not beating you over the head with it to where you just end up going, oh, get on with it, right? So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, maybe you're watching this movie for the wrong reason. I don't know. Death Race 2000 isn't your ordinary film. It's cheap, dirty, and to the point, obvious, and amazing. That's what I like about it. And that's what I like when somebody says that, right? You're, you're missing the whole point of what this movie is. If you're trying to dissect it and make some kind of, you know, social statement here. It's Death Race 2000, folks. It's a bunch of people driving and racing and running over people to gain points. It's, it's every video game we grew up wanting to play. <laughs> I mean, that, that's pretty much it, right? So as far as the cast, boy, have we got a cast. Uh, David Carradine plays Frankenstein, who is the star driver. Uh, Three-time winner, I think, but he's, he's lost limbs in the process. He's lost an eye, and they replace him, and he's kind of a Darth Vader kind of looking figure which is, this is before Darth Vader, 75. And, uh, you know, he's got this mystique about him, right? Uh, he doesn't show his face. He wears a mask all the time. He's got, and his face has got open holes cut in to where you can kind of see parts of his face, but it's all scarred up, you know. So Frankenstein, he's put together. You see, his helmet's even got the bolts that go on the side like he's Frankenstein. Uh, so he's the champion, and a guy that he's racing against is Machine Gun Joe, which is Sylvester Stallone. So still an early day appearance by the Italian Stallion. And uh, all these cars, too, we got to talk about them, because Frankenstein's car, it looks like a dragon's head, I guess. It's obviously a... I say obviously, a Corvette that they've dressed up to have scales and teeth and the hoods over the eyes are red. It's, it's pretty cool. It's cool and campy all at the same time. Now, Machine Gun Joe's, <laughs> and he's a gangster, right? Which, Machine Gun, so he's got this kind of 40s gangster kind of look thing going on. His car is a sleek, open top car as well. It's black. And it's got this, it's got machine guns, like Tommy guns, over each headlight, and a huge, like, protruding sword, or it's a, really a knife, knife blade sticking out, almost like a huge machete, right in the middle of his hood that sticks out in the front of the car. Pretty cool. Uh, like I said, we got Paul Bartel, who also, you know, appears in this movie for a little bit. Uh, Simone Griffiths in this, she's Annie Smith. And uh, she ends up uh, being the navigator for Frankenstein. She, she's new, 
But she's got a, another agenda as well, which kind of is what this whole story kind of leads into. Um, Roberta Collins is uh, Matilda the Hun, <laughs> which is another racer. And uh, we got Mary Warnoff in this, which she's in every, you know, Corman film, Bartell film, kind of in all of them. Um, she's Calamity Jane. She's driving a, a car that kind of looks like a, it's like a cow print on it. It's got horns on it, like, you know, Boss Hog. And Calamity Jane, or Calamity Jane, uh, Matilda the Hun, it's all German decked out, right? It's all Nazi, Germany, you know, and of course, obviously, they're the, the people everybody hates. Uh, Louisa Martiz, uh, she is the passenger for uh, Machine Gun Joe. Uh, and, and the list goes on and on. Uh, Martin Cove is in this. Is Nero the hero? He's one of the racers that doesn't last very long. Uh, and this is all coordinated by the president. And the president is more of a celebrity than he is necessarily a leader of the country. I mean, well, well, <laughs> maybe they got this part right. I don't know. Um, but it, it, this, this is a distraction, right? We use the race to keep people occupied so they don't know the real business of what's going on. So while this race is going on, there is a group of protesters, not necessarily protesters, but they're trying to disrupt the race, end the race, bring it into the political uh, disruption that's going on. And uh, so they're an underground vigilante group and Frankenstein's new navigator is part of that team. And they plan on, plan on uh, causing a detour for Frankenstein to go on and, and r remove him and put another driver in his place. And the whole goal is to get to the president and, you know, change the course of things here, even if it's killing him. So everything's pretty messed up, but the race goes on. It's televised. It is the biggest thing going on. Uh, and like I said, there's, there's, I love how they break down explaining the rules kind of as the movie's moving along. Uh, we've seen that done in other stuff now, but this is the first movie I've seen that it kind of does this, where it actually stops and says, if you kill somebody within this age group, if you run over them, then you get this many points. But anything where somebody's over 70 is triple the points. I mean, so they're breaking it all down and there's, there's, there's no, there's no rules. I mean, they go after each other. They go after the people on the streets. Um, and it's just chaos. But what's funny about it is they have resting points where they will all group back together, get all the cars refueled on the stuff and they hang out and get massages and they're all at the same place together. So it's got this, it's got this weird kind of cannonball run thing feel about it. Even though these people were willing to kill each other, but they kind of call a truce when it's, when it's this time, right? And uh, I, 
I don't know what else to tell you. I mean, you, you kind of have to watch it to see all this unfold. Um, but the, the navigator for Frankenstein has to do a little more than just navigating, too. I, I don't know if that's... I think it's a requirement because when you look at the couples, you can tell there's a, a little more expected than them just knowing their way across the country. So, uh, you know, she does her job diligently, I guess. So, um, and then she finds out that all the scars and all this stuff that Frankenstein displays are not real. When he pulls the mask off, he looks just as normal. Um, he, he is missing some things. Uh, I think he's had a leg taken off, a hand taken off, all these kind of things. But regardless, even when he takes all of his outfit off, he still keeps a glove on. And she keeps asking, why do you keep wearing this glove? Well, as the movie goes on, you find out that he's wanting out of this too. And his plan was to win the race and go shake hands with the president. And when he finally removes the glove, you find out that he has a hand grenade that is pretty much melded to this metal hand that he's got that he will use to shake hands with the president and kablooey. So he's even kind of on the same side of the people that want to kidnap him. So it kind of turns into that kind of narrative. But while that's going on, you've got all the other car drivers. They're, they're all fighting each other, blowing each other up, killing people on the streets. I mean, this is a fun movie. So I don't know what else to tell you except you, you need to see it. It's super campy. It's tongue-in-cheek. It's fun. Uh, and messed up all at the same time. And it kind of has that that feel. And, and you can tell there's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of artwork done for backgrounds and stuff, uh, especially when they you know open it up and they're showing the crowds that are there for the race and stuff. You can tell it's just a, a, a matte screen kind of painting. Even the the intro, for the logo and all that stuff, you can tell all that stuff is just kind of hand-drawn. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, I don't know, it's, it's got a charm to it that only the 70s can deliver. And, um, I don't know, this is a bona fide classic. It portrays all these personalities that we have seen over and over and over, even down to the television personalities Oh, you get the, there's, there's this one guy that's a construction worker or something. He gets killed. He's one of the first people to get killed. And his wife gets brought on live TV afterwards with a woman. It's kind of like a Barbara Walters kind of character. Well, if you know who Barbara Walters is. Uh, maybe an Oprah-type character or whatever. And, you know, she said, you know, we sure are sorry about your husband dying. and But his points were high. And... Uh, now you get to, you know, spend the next year in Tahiti or wherever it was, right? So she gets a prize because her husband died and uh, gets gets a condo or whatever. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's glamorizing all this stuff in a nonchalant, uh, tongue-in-cheek, disturbing kind of way. And it works. And, man, I mean, we might have got the cars and things wrong, but a lot of the stuff that we see when it deals with uh, social media and reality TV, they kind of nailed it. And uh, 
that's the scary part of it, right? Highly entertaining, highly recommended. This is a 4.5 or a 5 out of 5 for me. Uh, it, it, it doesn't get boring, no matter how many times I've seen it. So, uh, like I said, highly recommend it. You need to check it out. If you're a fan of it, you need to watch it again. If you've never seen it, you need to see it. And just expect to sit back, have a good time. All right, folks, that's it for this one. Hope you like it, and we will check you later.